we're going to be talking about uh, some mistakes that companies make when they're hiring or recruiting somebody. Hey, Dima. Hey, Harris. How's it going? Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Everything's good. Good. So, Dima, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Okay. So, uh, my name is Dima Dmitri. I am a former SAP uh, consultant, and I worked for some of the largest companies in America, John Deere, 3M, uh, Nike, Converse, DuPont, and uh, I liked it, but I liked more talking to people, and I would have all these uh, IT recruiters call me, and uh, they would pitch me uh, various jobs, but I realized they really did not know much about IT or SAP at all. Because, uh, for example, they had asked me for five years of experience of S4 HANA. At the time, SAP S4 HANA, it's a tool in, in SAP, it was out for like a year and a half or two years. So, like, they knew nothing about technology or what it does or, or uh, how to staff people. Um, they just knew how to ask, like, simple questions. How many years of experience do you have and what do you do? Um, and we take the salary. So I realized there was a niche in the market that I could definitely uh, take advantage of. So I started a new config, and uh, right now we st we started with just doing SAP recruiting. But as clients kept asking us, uh, hey, can you staff this role as well as SAP role? Can you staff Salesforce? Can you staff Workday? Can you staff salespeople? We extended our business into various other branches as well. So right now, we, I could say that you could think is an IT, ed sales, and finance recruiting uh, staffing agency. We're based right outside of Philadelphia in Hunton Valley, and uh, been in business since 2012. So that's what we do. Awesome. That's what I am. Yeah. So, so Dima, you've been doing this for quite a while. What are some of the mistakes that people make when they're recruiting? Like, walk us through a timeline, like, you know, from beginning to end, like, some of the mistakes. So, uh, especially in the SAP world, um, there is um, an issue, and not just SAP, it happens in Salesforce and Workday. Uh, people uh, fake their experience, and they claim like like 10 years of experience, but they've never touched the system, or they were just super users, and they have no configuration experience. And that's, that's a problem for recruiters, because you need to screen out those candidates because let's say you hire one of those folks and, and they don't know what they're doing and uh, it might take them a year or two to ramp up and by that point you lost a lot of money um, or you have to fire them and you start the search. So that's the problem in the SAP slash Salesforce workday recruiting space. Uh, another problem that people make when recruiting is that they don't have a database of people. They just use ads. So I'm talking about from the hiring manager's perspective. So if you just use ads, you're gonna you're gonna get have pretty bad candidates, and you're not gonna hire the best people um, that you need. Uh, so that's bad for your project if you're doing uh, a new Salesforce workday, uh, PeopleSoft implementation. They're fishing uh, in the wrong pond. Yeah, they 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 just they don't know where to find the right talent. And is now, that because the good talents usually have a job and they're not looking for a job? Yes, that's true. So the best talent already has a job. They're passive job seekers. And you need to have a database similar to what you config has, or maybe LinkedIn has a lot of these folks, or folks that like 
posted their resume a year ago or two years ago in Monster, they already have a job. Those, the passive job seekers, those are the people you need to target. Now, that's what the hiring manager makes a mistake on. When you talk about candidates, candidates uh, have a lot of mistakes, too, from their side. One of the biggest mistakes is uh, they don't change up their resume based on the job description. They just take their resume, they make one resume once, and I think part of it's laziness and part of this is lack of knowledge. They just take one resume and they just like spam it to all the available jobs. So let's say I'm a chief financial officer, I'm gonna spam my resume to all the big Fortune 1000 company, and they don't realize, for example, let's say there's a company uh, such as DuPont and they're live on SAP and they might be looking for a chief financial officer that knows SAP. And you might know SAP, but you didn't put that on your resume. Well, if you don't put it on your resume, the hiring manager is not going to look at you. They will just flash by you. And what the real thing to do is you look at the job description. The hiring manager makes a job description. You apply to that job description, and the candidates are just lazy. If they would just spend like five minutes or they just don't know. They just spend five minutes to look at the job description and see that this hiring manager at DuPont is looking for someone of SAP knowledge. And, hey, I'm, I'm a CFO. I have SAP knowledge, but I don't have that on my resume. You just need to sprinkle that back into your resume. It will significantly increase your chances of getting an interview. Now, that does, I'll be honest, with no, no time input, you get horrible output. And uh, it does take time input to do that, but it's really worth it in the end. I know it takes like two seconds to click, click and submit your resume, and I know it takes 10 minutes to actually read the job description and change your resume based on the job description. And I'm not saying make up stuff that you don't have. If you don't have SAP experience, don't put it on there. If you have some other knowledge that they have on the job description, add that. You mentioned that... Uh... They just post a job and just wait. So it doesn't mean that they're posting a job and just waiting for the candidates and then they never come and they just, they just settle for what whatever came? I mean, that happens a lot of the, the time and that's a mistake. For example, when you post a job on some of these uh, the databases such as LinkedIn or Monster or CareerBuilder, Indeed, you just have all kinds of folks applying. Folks that are used to be chefs and now want to be chief financial officers, uh, folks that are financial analysts and they think they're going to be CFOs. You have like all kinds of folks applying and most of that is just trash. And if you are the hiring manager and you want to avoid that trash, you need access to these databases where you need to do the search yourself proactively. And that's how, uh, that's why companies such as New Config flourish because a lot of folks don't want to do the search proactively. They just don't have the time. If you are a CEO or a CFO or even a senior manager at a mid-tier or large corporation, you have to manage your employees. You have to make sure your boss is happy. You have to bring in deliverables. Hiring is number like five or six on your list. So it's easier to outsource it to a staffing firm to do that has knowledge and does it every day. And not only is it easier, it's more cost-effective. I got to ask your point on something. Because I've seen companies, they just work with one staffing company, right? And what I've noticed is I feel like the staffing company knows that, and they're not really giving priority to that client. 
how does it usually work? Like, do companies work with many staffing companies or they work with one staffing company? I would uh, advise uh, clients to work with at least a couple. Um, it's better to have at least two people working it or two companies as opposed to one because you have more eyes on the search and they might have uh, various other databases that the first one does not have. I would not recommend having six to ten uh, companies work it. Uh, more than three, I, I think three is a lot already because then these recruiters are just falling over themselves. They're talking to the same candidates and then they get mad that another company already talked to them and it just sours their relationship. Uh, so three is the magic number you're saying? I think, I, I think two to three. It depends on the search. If the search is really hard, I'd put in three. But I think staying at two, uh, two is the magic number. Because too, too many recruiters, it's like having too many chefs in the pot. It, it just ruins the recipe because they all have their own say and they're all talking to the same people unless like, yeah, unless the third one that has a magic database that you didn't know about or the other two are not using, uh, which happens depending on the firm, but most of them have the same databases. Uh, it depends. Like, for example, we have our own proprietary database that we use. Some firms do that. Others just use LinkedIn, Monster, Dyson, Indeed. So they're all using the same thing. just matters how good of a recruiter they are, how good of a search they are, and honestly, how good they understand the job. A lot of these IT recruiters, when you tell them SAP, SD, they're just going to be searching for SAP, and they bring you FICO guys, and they bring you other module guys. But they also, just don't understand technology. But also from a from a uh, holding them accountable perspective, right? I can't tell you how many times I've seen some companies that have been working or supporting that company for 10, 15 years, and you could see the, la the lack of service. And then as soon as another player comes in, all of a sudden they change their service, they change their attitude, they change their behavior. So I, I think whether it's staffing or whatever it is, you got to have more than one vendor. Yeah, you need competition. Monopolies are bad. Competition within those vendors. If you got only one, I mean, you make, there's sometimes you can't have more than one, but if it does, you got to have more than one. Yeah, it depends how you negotiate contracts. I'd be... Uh, I recommend clients to make sure all their contracts of uh, recruiting vendors have non-exclusivity in them, so they're not penalized if there's ex if uh, they had a second Can you explain one. that for those that don't know what that is? So a lot of uh, smart recruiters that have been in the game and clever ones in their contract, they put ex that this search is exclusive. So that means only the recruiting firm A could do this search on behalf of the client. And that means they avoid the competition and monopolize the search. And that is bad for the client and it's good for the recruiting firm. That's not how New Config does business. And I recommend uh, clients to make sure that the contract does not have exclusivity or work with firms that don't have exclusivity. For example, New Config does not have exclusivity. Why? Because we love competition, because we know we could destroy them. So I, I think it's better for the firm and to get better value, better candidates, to have non-exclusive exclusive contracts. So now we're talking, uh, moving down the, down the flow, what's the next mistakes that they make in the process? 
So besides uh, working with just one firm, uh, besides just posting the ad on uh, a couple of databases, um, I, I think another mistake they make is uh, salary. I've seen that right now, especially uh, we're talking today in 2021, uh, inflation's uh, kicking in, and a lot of uh, recruiters, well, clients, uh, and recruiters at clients, hiring managers, they are just uh, below the market. The salaries have increased in the last two years by 10%. And if they are below market, they're going to get a less valued candidates and when they get less valued candidates they get upset about it and they blame the recruiting firm so it's whatever it a new salary mapping yeah they need to get the salary right and as a recruiting firm new config we advise the client and we tell them look this is the salary for this position if you're going to do the search we uh, recommend that you stay at this salary and most of the time they agree with us a lot of it and that's the value of working for recruiting firm because we are like you can think we are in the market every day talking to candidates we know how much these folks are making and how much money they need to make it change as you said the best candidates are passive job seekers those are the ones you want so if you're already making 120 you're not going to leave for 120 or 115 you're going to leave for at least 130 or 140 and when we tell our clients that that is the market for an SAP person with seven eight years of experience um, they either uh, accept it or they don't most of the time they accept it because we tell them that the search is going to take long and they're not going to get the talent that they want at the end of the day even if they get the person for 120 the uh, the candidates are not stupid well, even after they have an offer, they counter to 130. <laughs> so let's say we submit a person for 120. They go through six weeks of interview, four weeks of interview, and the client's so happy about it. They met the vice president, director, the senior manager, all the analysts. They love this person. They think they're going to get him for 120. They give him the offer for 120, and he counters for 135. And I've seen that happen in the market many times because candidates know how much they're worth. And then the, the client has a choice. They just wasted uh, four, six, four to six weeks interviewing this person, or they actually accept the market and pay them what the market rate is. You know, that's a good point because I feel like pretty much all my employees, I try to pay them fair, and, and most of the time I give them a raise without that even asking if I think they deserve that raise or promotion. Because... Uh, yeah. You're gonna have to give that money anyways, whether in in the upfront. So you're saying, just just put that in the initial job description, so that way you attract better talent. Because either that's way, right. I think it's a big mistake to do a search without a job, without a salary in there, because then you're gonna have people applying, and if you're gonna pay them, you're thinking 120, but the person wants 150 or 170, you're gonna spend four excuse me, four to six weeks interviewing this person, and then he gets the offer, and he's very disappointed. He counters 30K more than you want, and then you're disappointed because you had all these interviews with him or her, and he's not going to accept the offer unless you drastically increase salary. And that means you have to go, if you're a hiring manager, you have to uh, go uh, tail in hand to uh, your director or VP and ask them for an extra 30000 a year in salary 
which would be a, a difficult conversation for you to have. And you, if you had advertised that extra 30,000 in salary, you might have gotten more and even better. Even, yeah, even better than the candidate you have in front of you. That's right. So to sum that point up is we're basically saying, you know what something is worth, put that up front, increase your chances of attracting better, more qualified people because they see the salary, rather than try to lowball in the beginning when you end up giving them at the end or the deal falls through. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. The deal falls through and you lost four to six weeks interviewing the person and then you have to start all over. And uh, if you are a director, your vice president and your CTO uh, or your management team is mad at you and you're mad too because you lost all this time on this candidate because on a conversation you could have in the first five minutes of talking to them. Is this salary that you want? No, I want an extra 30K. All right, I wish you well. Have a good day. Yeah, that- Like, you couldn't literally figure that out in five minutes on the first phone call. I feel like people have that mindset that they don't want to ask, they don't want to propose a salary because it's... Faux pas, it's, it, 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 it's not something... Uh, they feel embarrassed discussing it. Well, I think you should... I think they should get past their embarrassment. Because it's going to cost them a lot of time or money or both in the end. And I advise all my clients to uh, give us a salary, a salary on the market, or to be honest, above the market, to make the search uh, easier for them and for the candidates, to get better, valuable candidates. You know, you like SAP, the salary, the first thing discussed, and then people go to the... Go to yeah, the it's not just line. SAP. It's the, Finance, it should be discussed in finance and in sales, especially sales guys. They're not going to work for you unless they get paid good money. I mean, they're in sales. That's what they do. They're all about the money. And uh, the IT business is hot. I think the unemployment rate in IT is like 1% or 2%. Even in this COVID, after COVID economy, IT is still extremely hot. Well, everybody's working remote. So, Dima, now, you know, now that... We're talking about a job offer. What are some of the next mistakes they make? So, uh, job offer, I guess, um, I guess another one is not being ready to for a counter. I've seen that happen many times. A lot of can- hire managers, uh, like, for example, the most they're willing to pay is 120 they, uh, they offer the person 120 and then the person counters. Every uh, smart candidate is going to counter you. Uh, it's just part of the business. Even if you discuss salary at the beginning, they're going to most likely counter you. You could have that discussion in the beginning and make sure you could confirm a couple of times in the beginning in the middle that you're still good on salary. Uh, that's my advice to hire managers. Because if you haven't, if you had your conversation just in the beginning, at the end, <coughs> most of them are going to counter you. So it's just the way it is. You're saying is have a conversation up front, but if you don't have it up front, you need to have room for counter because if you don't counter, people are going to feel like they got a crappy deal. Yes. People need, uh, people need to feel like they won. Uh, it's important for their social status when they go back to their friends in the, in the SAP world or Salesforce world. It's important uh, for their ego. Uh, everyone wants to look good in front of their friends and family, and they, they don't want to look like they got gypped.
So most likely they're going to counter no matter what you give them. Uh, that's a smart. That's a smart money. That's where the smart folks are. So have room for a counter. Yeah, have room for a counter. Um, for yeah, what other mistakes? Um, I don't. Well, let me think. I mean, the candidates. At the offer, it's 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 really. I mean, once you get to the offer, all these questions should be answered. The salary should be answered. Another thing I've seen uh, happen is remote work, especially with COVID now. A lot of candidates are asking for more remote. That conversation should be uh, had right at the beginning and in the middle and at the end, so everyone understands what the remote strategy is moving forward now i understand a lot of companies don't know what's going to happen in the future they might be remote now but in september or next early next year they're back in the office but cove but that should be discussed because if you have the candidate remote now and then you're expecting him or her to be back in the office every day on june january 1st and that's now laid up in your expectations in the offer they're going to be very pissed and when January 1st comes along, or even sooner, they might leave. Uh, I've seen those scenarios play out. So so basically, is have a date in there when you think they're going to get back, because people are assuming that they're going to work remote, unless goes the other way. Yeah, people are, yeah. Remote work has increased dramatically over the last year. I read a statistic the other day, the wall, I think it was Wall Street Journal, I might be wrong, but by 2025, one out of four Americans will be working remote. And that's a crazy statistic because going back three years, in 2018, 2016, uh, I think it was like one out of 10. So one out of four is just a, is a really big number. And uh, remote work has been increasing dramatically. And it's a conversation that you need to have with your candidates because uh, the competition is offering remote. And even if you offer them more salary than the competition, remote work is this big indicator for people that have families, like a child, two children, three. Uh, they want to start a family. Uh, remote work is very important to them. So it's definitely something that's to be discussed. Point. And what we notice at Santoro is that uh, people are acknowledging that remote work is here to stay. They don't know how much. They don't know the details. But almost everyone that we spoke to are kind of acknowledging, hey, this is here to stay. And, and they're also looking at alternatives. Yeah, you're right. I mean, remote is just big. And it's becoming as big as salary. It's a conversation you definitely need to have with uh, candidates you're hiring uh, because all your competitors are having these discussions. So if you want to be on top of your competitors for the best talent so you could grow your organization, you need to have conversations about remote work. So Dima, last year you made some changes to your recruiting business. For all the recruiters out there, what are some of those changes that you made and what do you think were some of the positive and some of the negatives? So one of the biggest changes um, I made uh, going back to uh, this topic of remote, is I hired uh, a couple, uh, three uh, Albanian uh, recruiters, uh, offshore recruiters, uh, that uh, have uh, augmented the recruiters I have here in Philadelphia. And now, the effects were not immediate because these recruiters 
Uh, I hired with minimal experience. They had good English, but they did not have uh, as much recruiting experience. So the ramp up time for the recruiters I hired uh, was about two to three months. So, but once, so about two to three months, they were able. How long did it take for them to close the first client? I mean, the first candidate. Uh, so, for example, the first uh, Albanian recruiter I hired was in uh, March of 2020, and she closed her first candidate by um, April of 2020. So, how long do they usually take on average? On average, yeah, because it depends on the person. The, the person I hired was just really good, or maybe she got lucky. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, on average, yeah, it takes about two to three months for them to ramp up and become uh, successful recruiters. And when I mean successful, I mean actually staff someone and make back the capital I uh, invested in them over a year. So if they staff just one person, they make back all the capital I've invested in them over a year because uh, they are at least five times or seven times cheaper that's a great point because i've also built a business and using outsourcing out of albania and i remember when you and i were talking about it you had a lot of question about english and you know working culture and mainly communication in general H how would you compare that with you know if you were to hire somebody here in the states so in terms of English, I'll be honest, they do have an accent, but uh, like we're Americans and uh, Americans are used to accents. There's people here from all over the world. So that's not an issue, especially when you're dealing with candidates. The recruiters I hired are not in sales. They're not talking to hiring managers. They're talking to the job seekers. And when you're a job seeker and you need a job to support your family, you don't care if the person has an Albanian accent, a Russian accent, uh, a, uh, a Hebrew accent, you, you don't care. As long as they could bring you a, a job so you could uh, help your family. So candidates had no problems accepting the recruiters. I think I had over a year or two, maybe a couple candidates have trouble understanding them. But if that happened, the recruiter would just refer the candidate to me and I would have a personal conversation with them. So it wasn't that big of a deal right. um, and from a result perspective we don't need to get into numbers but if you you know where, where do they stack uh, compared to onshore resources they're just as good and if not better depending on the person but i uh the folks i hired did just as well um as the folks i have here in many ways and from a cost perspective would where would you say that stand compared to cost here, labor cost? Uh, they're definitely much cheaper labor cost, uh, at least four, five to seven times cheaper. What has been your experience in that world, in that realm? Yeah, I think, I think the productivity of them um, increases dramatically. The ramp up time uh, is about two to three months, but once they've been ramped up, you just have to talk to them uh, like once maybe twice a week, uh, and they would be just 
very similar to U.S. in terms of productivity, U.S. workers. So, so that's a good question. From a time, obviously, you got a team here and a team there. From a, you know, if you were to randomly pick employees, how much time do they require more than employees here in the states? I think. One thing. Um, so, I don't think it's it, they take more time. I think if I hire employees here, it probably would also take them two to three months for them to, and I have, for them to understand new config, uh, org structure, org, and how we do business, um, how we find candidates, how we submit them, how we negotiate offers, how we do invoicing, how we do billing, and how we start the process again, how we do calendar invites and meetings, uh, interviews, uh, all of that. I think if I hired a new person, I think any person would take two to three months. How much longer would a, uh, an offshore person take? Probably an extra week more than an, uh, someone here because there is uh, miscommunications happen all the time uh, because of the language barrier. But I would say that is a very minimal uh, issue that could be addressed, well, as I said, within a week it might take an extra week as opposed to uh, an American starting out. Dima, one last question. Uh, what time zone are they working for you? So they're on Toronto time. So that is uh, six hours ahead of uh, Philadelphia Eastern time. So what they do for me is they uh, start work at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern or 12 p.m. Eastern, and they work until 7 or 8 p.m. Eastern, which actually works better for recruiting firms such as us because a lot of our candidates, they are at work from 9 a.m. till 6 p.m. So if the recruiters are available to talk to them at 6, 7, 8, the candidates uh, appreciate that because those are the times that they are not working and they don't have to hide from their boss in the cubicle or in the bathroom or uh, get, leave the Zoom meeting if they're remote. It works out fantastic for us when if they start at what twelve or one. I'm sorry. And what positions are they closing for you? What position are they working? Same positions as my onshore team. So SAP role, Salesforce, Workday, uh, uh, Chief Financial Office, Executive uh, roles. So all the same roles I give them because I've ramped them up and they are just as strong as my U.S. team at this point. Okay. Almost. All of them have a bachelor degree, and half of them have a master's degree. Uh, yeah, people... most of them have, are very educated people. So that's true. So, do they all have a bachelor degree in your team? Yes, they all have a bachelor's degree, and, a co and uh, the two out of three have a master's. So, majority have a master's. Okay, that's that's a good number. Yeah, they're, they're very educated people. They are. Uh, Dima, that's all I have for you. I appreciate all the time, and this is all good stuff. All right. Well, yeah, I'm glad to talk to you, Ervis. Um, uh, uh, I'm a very big fan of, of the recruiters uh, that I, I got. Uh, I'm very grateful that they helped New Config grow and help us keep growing. And, uh, yeah, if you need me for anything else uh, or your uh, viewers, uh, you can contact me at my email address, dnoman at newconfig.com. All right, so that's D and Nolman like they see on the screen at newconfig.com. All right, Dima, you take care. Thanks a lot. Bye now. All right, you're welcome.